Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Uh, Those in the room, those joining us online, thank you for being uh, there with us. Uh, There is so much going on um, in the world, we know about that, but there's so much good going on here uh, in this church, um, and in spite, in some cases, what I know uh, many of you are dealing with personally, in your families, in your marriages, and and yet faithfully uh, trusting in the promises of God to sustain you. And, and we're going to see the hand of God. Uh, I don't know, I, surely I know we talked about some of the things. Um, at Group Connect, I want to really encourage you. We've got, uh, we expect dozens and dozens of um, couples, individuals, families that are not yet connected to a small group or a home group, and we'd love to give you a chance to do that. Um, you can go to our website at horizonwestchurch.com events. And uh, the Group Connect uh, link should be there, and that will give you an opportunity uh, to just let us know, hey, I'd like to be a part of a group, and uh, we can probably find a group for you in your location with people in your season of life, and uh, we'd love to do that. And I want to celebrate our our movement student night on Wednesday, where we saw 33 students come out um, and participate in that, Edwin and Heather leading that. And... Uh, even more exciting than, than 33 students is four of those students giving their life to Christ for the first time. And what a neat thing to, to be able to celebrate um, the way that God is moving among our, our students. Well, many, many years ago, probably 20 years ago now, boys to men asked an important question. Yeah, that was a rough transition. I'm sorry. <laughs> boys to men asked the question, have we come to the end of the road? And the answer to that question for us is yes, that we have. This is going to be the end of our uh, Habakkuk series today, Um, and uh, I invite you to turn to Habakkuk chapter 3. We'll also have it on the screens behind me. Was that the roughest transition that I've ever made? I'm sorry. Boys to men got me all thrown off. Um, We're turning to Habakkuk 3. I want to give you some brief context because, again, if you haven't been following along or maybe you've uh, kind of lost track of where we're at, Habakkuk is an Old Testament prophet. He's prophesying about 600 years before the time of Jesus. And he is coming out of a time in his nation's history that was really positive and hopeful, and now it's really chaotic and scary. Anybody relate? <laughs> like, so, so he's in a season in history where he's going, man, I, I don't know what to make of what is happening. And worse, God has given Habakkuk the prophecy that the Chaldeans are coming to basically drive out uh, the people of Judah. And this is a sure thing. God has stated it, and Habakkuk has to deal with this. And so chapters one and two, we see him wrestling with that. Let me make a quick note. You'll notice that I said Chaldeans. And the last two weeks I've been saying Chaldeans. It's because someone corrected me. Thank God for people that can be honest with you. I should have known this because in the Hebrew language, there is no ch sound. There's no like, like you couldn't say choo-choo in Hebrew. So if you know the Hebrew language, I don't expect you to, I should and, and, or do and, and should have caught it. So it's Chaldeans, and I've got to just put her on blast because the person that let me know this was Marcy. She said, hey, I hate to tell you this, but you've been saying this wrong. And I'm like, you know what? This is a good thing. This is why you have people smarter than you on your team. And so if you notice that subtle transition, that is, that is why. So chapters one and two, Habakkuk is wrestling with this idea that the Chaldean army is going to come against the people of Judah, and worse than that, not just that it's happening, but that God is orchestrating it. 
And so, so Habakkuk has to wrestle with what is uh, this perceived injustice. Now, if you remember in week one, uh, we learned that the first two key words in the prophecy of Habakkuk are the word uh, in Hebrew, hamasa, which means burden, and then the name Habakkuk, which means to embrace. And so the whole book of Habakkuk is framed around this idea that there is a burden that Habakkuk must learn to embrace. And the burden that he's wrestling with, the burden that he's coming to a place of learning to embrace is the perceived injustice of God. I say perceived because there is never such a thing as real injustice on the part of God. But sometimes we look at the world and we go, God, I don't understand how if you're just, you can allow, right? We've all been there. So, so this is Habakkuk's struggle in chapters one and two. We might say in chapters one and two that Habakkuk, Habakkuk is evidencing a posture of resistance, right? He's kind of, God, I, 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 I'm not okay with this. This isn't right. This isn't fair. They're more wicked than we are. You can't use them to judge us. What about them? And he's, he's wrestling and he's bringing this. And to his credit, even in his resistance, he's going to God. And there's a rich history of that in Scripture. Men who wrestled with God. Women who questioned God. People who grappled with who God was because it was real. And they took their questions. So Habakkuk has this posture of resistance. And what we're going to see in this final chapter, in chapter 3, is Habakkuk moving from a posture of resistance to a posture of receptivity. This makes all the difference in the world. This is what we deal with every single day of our lives. Something comes into our life. Am I going to resist and go, no, 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 I'm not okay with that. I don't want... Or are we going to learn to be receptive to what God is doing? Now, let me make this clarification. Um, there are some things that we should be resisting, right? Like the things that we can control, the things within our own sphere of decision-making and planning that we go, God, this is the way I'm choosing to go. I'm going to resist. I'm talking about the things that are beyond our control. It's like the serenity prayer. Some of you might have memorized that at one point. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Here, Habakkuk's going, man, there's a lot of resistance. I don't like this. I don't like the plan, but I'm not in control, and so I'm going to move to a posture. I'm going to accept this thing that I cannot change. I'm going to learn to be receptive to what God is doing. Last weekend, um, I, was, I think it was Friday or Saturday, and uh, we were at the house, and Nikki's like, hey, I'm going to make a target run. And she's like, let's all go as a family. Now, I love my family, but I don't love Target. And I apologize if you have investments in Target or work for the company or, or any of that. Um, I've had multiple bad experiences in Targets, and I'm not exactly sure why. Different locations all around the state of Florida. And so immediately there was this resistance. I don't want to go to Target. She's like, come on, it'll be fun. Like, we're all together. It's family. And so phew, I go. I would say I was receptive. I was more just like obligatorily going along with this plan. And so we go and we're going up the 535. We live seven and a half minutes from Target. And the, the road is like, like backed up for the entire mile and a half to our neighborhood because there is a wreck at the 429 and the 535. And so it takes us like 30 minutes to get to Target. And the whole time I'm just like... Like, breathe in, breathe. I didn't want to be here. This was not my choice, you know. And so we finally get to Target. Actually, Target was a decent experience. And then we, we go to leave, 
and I'm, I'm geared up for another 30 minutes, oh no. No, because the road going back home is blocked off. They're rerouting people up, like to where the, the uh, what is it, uh, uh, Logan's, or not Logan's, but a uh, Texas Roadhouse or something there, back around, and then up the road that's in between, the, I'm giving you way too many details, but, but this is how intense it is, between the 535, 545, and people are, but that's all the way backed up, because this has been going on for like an hour and a half now. And so we like pull up the Google map, and it gives us a way to go, and I look at it and I go, that is not the way to go. Like, that is taking us literally to a Koei. I'm, we're not going that way, but here's the thing. I was in the passenger seat. <laughs> and Nikki said, that's the way we're going to, because that's what Google's saying, right? Like, and I'm like, <sighs> you know, just, I mean, literally, this is such a, a silly thing. But like two and a half hours later, and, and the whole time, I'm just tense. I had nothing else to do. I just didn't want to do that, you know? Well, look, we, we've all been there, and some of you are there in much more profound and difficult circumstances than a trip to Target, right? Where you're going, I, I don't like this. I didn't agree to this. I didn't, I didn't cause this. I wouldn't have gone that way, but I'm in the passenger seat. Somebody else is driving, and, and this, this is what we're doing, and I, and I just have to learn to go along with it. And can I tell you, that if you want to find the key to happiness and peace in life, a lot of it can be found in just being receptive. Just, just that pivot. It wasn't going to be exciting or fun, but I would have saved myself a ton of stress, frustration, anger by just going, it's okay. I'm with my family. We're safe. Praise God for that. We weren't the ones in the wreck. You know, like there was good to be found, but in my posture of resistance, I refuse to find it. This morning, what I want to do together is look at four actions that Habakkuk uh, takes. They're going to help him move from a pos position to re of resistant. So moving from a position of resistant to a position or posture of receptive. Okay? And then we're going to close with five questions that we can kind of reflect on and apply. So go to Habakkuk chapter 3. Let me read these first two verses. Habakkuk 3, 1 and 2. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to a word that I can't pronounce. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Now this term that I'm not even going to try to say because I don't want Marcy correcting me. This term, um, this term is a, what we believe is a musical term. But people don't really know. You understand that in, in a language like Hebrew which was actually dead for like a long, long time. It's, it's been revived. But for a lot of years, there's, there's just lost words. And if they weren't used in other places in like extra biblical material, we just go, ah, we got to look at the context. It appears that this might be a, a, a musical term, right? And we're going to see why that is. So, so, okay, this is a musical term. And the understanding or the best guess is that it's a musical term that means something kind of wild or exuberant. So this is not prayer like, oh Lord, I bless. Like this is like Habakkuk just like bearing his soul before God, just, just wildly presenting his prayer and his request to God. And what else happens in Habakkuk, just by way of context here, is that the literary genre is going to shift a little bit in chapter 3, right? Because we're talking prophecy. We know Habakkuk is a prophet. But in chapter 3, there's a, there's a subtle shift into poetry, 
So it's a poetic chapter in a prophetic book. It's along the lines of, of the Psalms or Ecclesiastes. It's, it's more poetic than prophetic. Okay, so what we see in Habakkuk chapter three is this. We see Habakkuk not wrestling with the facts of what is about to take place. Rather, he is coming to terms with or processing the emotions that he feels about the facts that he's coming to terms with. Does that make sense? So before he's been resistant and and wrestling against these facts, God's saying, I'm gonna send the Chaldean army against you. Now he's moving into a place of processing the emotions. Okay, this is happening. How am I gonna deal with this? Chuck Swindoll says that life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we respond, right? We we don't wanna believe that because it's a lot easier to blame our problems on other people. But the truth is, life is 10% what happens, 90% how we respond to it. We can choose to control our responses, and this is what Habakkuk is going to do here. So in other words, the question is not, how can this happen? This is what Habakkuk's been asking. God, how can this happen? How can you send these people against your people? He's not going to ask that question anymore. Now he's going to shift into the question, how will I respond to what is about to happen? God has already confirmed Bad things are coming, like it's not going to get better. And notice in verse 2 what Habakkuk says. He says, Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. Isn't that interesting? Do you see there some of the acceptance that he's come to? He's like, okay, Lord, if it's wrath, if it's judgment, if it's bad things coming against your people, then at least, Lord, remember mercy within your judgment. And in this, the first action that Habakkuk is going to take is he's going to lean into the character of God. I told you in week one that injustice has a way of distorting or tainting our view of God. The age-old question, how can bad things happen to good people, leads us to the implied question of how could a good God allow bad things to happen to good people, right? And so injustice has a way of distorting our view, and that's why Chapters 1 and 2 deal heavily with who is God when it looks like injustice is prevailing because we must remember that. But Habakkuk does this in chapter 3. He chooses to believe God's word over his present personal experience. He's going, right now, this feels wrong. This feels unjust. But I'm going to remind myself of the character of God rooted in the word of God. And this is where I believe Habakkuk's mind goes. I don't know this from the text, but I think this is where he's going. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, God is revealing himself to Moses at Mount Sinai. That should be a trigger to make you think Ten Commandments. Okay, this is where God delivered the law to Moses. And look at Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 with me. The Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Leave that there for just a minute. We can have a tendency to think about the Old Testament as, oh, that's all God's you know, wrath and judgment and anger, right? And, and there's like wars and all these you know, things going, plagues. And, but right here in Exodus, in the heart of the Pentateuch, God says, remember, I'm a God who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This idea, the ones that I put in yellow here, these words, would become an anthem and a refrain for the people of God throughout the Old Testament. I'm going I'm to show you all of the places real quick. Go to the next one. Numbers 14, 18. Moses writes, The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Next. 
Nehemiah said, you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is the psalmist, David, you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Very same verse with two words switched. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Joel, the other prophet, return to the Lord your God for he's gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and he relents over disaster. And one more. This is Jonah. Remember the, the running prophet? This is why I made haste to flee away to Tarshish because I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Over and over and over from the prophets and the psalmists and the leaders of the people, they would remind themselves God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And so here is Habakkuk learning that God is about to send a wicked and violent army against his people, he goes, hang on, Lord. I remember your character. So in wrath, remember mercy. I I remember, God, that that it is not your desire to bring judgment. This is an inevitable uh, result of our sin and our rebellion. So even within the wrath, because of your character that I have learned about in your word, God, be merciful to your people. Let me ask you this question. When have you personally experienced the abounding love of God for you? Right? Like, are are you even alert and awake to that? where you go, man, that's God's love for me. And by the way, God's love isn't always, you know, rainfall and flowers. Sometimes it's hardship. But it's love, it's correction, it's discipline. And and we experience this personally. Habakkuk's going to go even one step further because Habakkuk isn't personally feeling or experiencing the truth of these verses. What he's doing is he's using the witness of Scripture to remind himself who God is. Friends, if you are not familiar with scripture or you are not reading it regularly or haven't picked it up in a while, I I implore you to do so. Because your, your view of God, your understanding of who he is, it will be shaped by something or someone. And if it is not shaped by God's word, it's going to be shaped by your unique personal experience or the distorted views of culture or even well-meaning people who say, oh, God would never make you, and you got to go back to the word. Habakkuk's going to use the word of God to lean into the character of God and there he's going to go, okay, I can be receptive because I know who God is. Go back to Habakkuk 3. I want to read a, a long passage. It's, it'll be on the screen behind me. I'm going to read it from the scripture here. Habakkuk 3 and starting at verse 3. God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. And then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His his were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted hands on high. 
And the sun and the moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. And you marched through the earth in a fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the head of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. The second action that Habakkuk is going to take in this chapter is that he is going to begin to recall the work of God. So first he, he leans into the character of God. Now he's recalling the work of God. You'll see there were numerous places where there was a word Selah. Did you catch that? I think I've even put it in, in uh, highlights there, Selah. This is yet another musical term. They believe it means to, to rest and reflect. And so he's building into this prayer times where he's th- reflecting on the work of God, recalling the work of God, and then stopping and just going, I'm going to think on that a little more. I'm, I'm going to remember and just, and just dwell on what God did for us. And, and he's referencing the, the giving of the law and he's referencing the time in the wilderness where God did miracles and where he drove out nations and, and the plagues over Egypt. And all of this is built into Habakkuk's recalling of the work of God. But notice again what he's doing. Habakkuk is using scripture to move him toward faith. He's recalling the, the history of God's people written in God's word. And, and it's interesting here what he's doing. He, he he talks about some locations and peoples here, and what's striking to me is that all of them are places that are outside of Israel and Judah. So, so Taman and Mount Paran and, and Cush and Midian, you're going, well, what, what is the significance of these? The significance is, this is not Jerusalem. This is not Israel or Judah. These aren't places where the, the, the Jewish people or the Hebrew people would think, this is the place where God is. And God's saying, no, 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 no. but remember, I went with you beyond the borders of Israel and Judah. My work isn't confined to one location and time. And by the way, Habakkuk, when your people go into exile in just about 15 years, I'm going with them. I'm not going to abandon them. Remember Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and eventually Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther and these these who lived in exile and yet walked with God. And God's going to say, Habakkuk, it's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. You're going to go. But remember, my work isn't confined to here. I'm bigger than that. My my plan is for the nations. That's why he could say in verse 3, the earth was full of his praise. Not just the nation, but the earth. Did you know there are 43 nations that are mentioned in Scripture? 43. Like, we think about it like, okay, the Old Testament's about the, like, the Israelites, the New Testament about the church. No, no, no. God was dealing with the entire world all along, and his plan always has involved the people from every tribe, nation, and language, and he's going to remind Habakkuk of it here. When you go into exile, Habakkuk, when your people are far from Jerusalem, and nothing's familiar, and the languages are different, and the customs, and the foods, and nothing feels right, remember there who I am and what I've done. Joseph T. Bailey said it this way, don't forget in the darkness what you've learned in the light. Dark times are going to come. It's easy to go, man, I can't believe it anymore. It can't be true anymore. Don't forget there what you've learned in the good times. 
Habakkuk 2, these, or rather 3, these verses that we read, they contain allusions to creation, to deliverance, to provision, to destruction of enemies, all of these things. And I believe what Habakkuk is doing is he's, he's identifying a pattern in the work of God. You remember studying patterns in math? We're, we're going through that with our, our older two right now. I'm terrible at math, so my wife does that part. But, but it's like, if, if, if it's this, 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 you can see a pattern. Now when it's this, 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 you can go, well, it's going to be this, right? Because I've seen the pattern of how that works. It's math. And Habakkuk's going, God, we were here, and then we were here, and you showed up. And then we were here, and we were here, and you provided we were here, then we were here, and you delivered. And like every time that things were at their worst, you showed up for your people. In wrath, you've always remembered mercy. So your character is part of the pattern. Your work is part of the pattern. I'm going to lean in to those things. One of the amazing things about becoming a middle-aged man, which is weird to say, <laughs> is living long enough to see the pattern of God's work in my life. I've lived long enough. I get it, teenagers. I get it. I get it, young adults. Like, I, kids, I understand. Man, can God really satisfy me? That was always my question. It's not, is he real? Not is he, can he satisfy me? Because I see a lot of stuff out there that looks like a lot of fun. Can, and just keep living, keep walking with God, and then look back and go, oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't have everything I want, but I have everything I need. And especially since I met Nikki, that has been the case. But God, God brought her to me, right? Like that was part of the deal. I, I want to give you just a couple real tangible things so you don't think I'm just using like, you know, preacher talk. Um, the year that I met Nikki in, in 2008, I filed my taxes and um, my W-2 was $7,000. Four digits, 7000 That was my annual income for the year. And um, then I got a job making 12000 a year, and I was pumped, man. It was, like, really good. Yeah. <laughs> Sleeping in a church office that they converted to a bedroom for me, and the, well, I, I can't even go there because she could be watching. Anyway, um, the people that worked there were, were fun. And so, because um, it was kind of my home, but kind of their workplace, super awkward. But I was making more money. And, and then Nikki and I met, and I wanted to get married. And I was making $12,000 a year. And I remember one night in particular, and, and, and we'd actually set the date. Like, we were a few months from, from our wedding day. And I'm like, this, like, we're going to be living on a credit. Like, I literally can't afford to be married. Like, you're going to be the breadwinner, and you're a teacher. Like, it's not like we're going to, you know. And didn't say anything to anyone, just kind of was, like, wrestling with that. And the next day at lunch, our pastor's like, hey, Chris, I met with the elders, and uh, we made a decision. We're going to double your pay to 24000 a year. Like, it's 24000 but when it's double your pay, I'm like, oh, thank you, God. Like, I can do this now. Like, I can move into this place in life that God's called me to because he's providing what I need for the moment. And then just a few years into our marriage, we had our first child at 24 weeks, one pound, nine ounces, and went, oof, we haven't been here before. How does, how does this work? Like, and they were telling us 60% chance that, that she will have um, long-term disabilities of body or mind and a 40% chance she may not even survive at all. And we're, we're just going, okay, God, we're going to walk by faith. We've seen you provide. We've seen you show up. We've seen you do miracles. We're going to trust. And we walked 146 days through the NICU journey at, at Winnie Palmer Hospital 
and saw God's faithfulness. To look back now, nine years later, and have a, a nine-year-old girl who's healthy and beautiful and fun and smart and, and perfect, you know, seeing God show up. And then one more, we, 2020, we were growing as a church body. There was life and energy. I remember doing a, a group connect event like we're going to do in just a few weeks, and it was in downtown Winter Garden because we didn't have a building, and like, man, like 100 people show up, and like 12 new groups get started, and it's like, man, this is awesome, and then March 15th happened, and we're like, oh, are we a church anymore? Like, what, what do we do now? And walking through and figuring and going, God, how, do we be, how, how are we a church that doesn't, not only doesn't have a building, doesn't have a place that we can even gather? And, and all this stuff we're hearing, and now we're going to go to Saturday nights, and now, and God's like, just stick with it. I'm doing something. And all of a sudden, Pastor William, hey, Chris, can I talk with you? God's given us a vision. We're, we're doing work in Nigeria. We think our churches could be better together than apart. And next thing I know, we're in the middle of a merge and, and people are starting to come back to church and, and God's starting to move and people are being saved. And we baptized more people this year than any previous year as a church. And God was positioning us for greater things in this year and beyond. But in every one of those stories, there was times where I'm going, God, I haven't walked this part of the road yet. I haven't gotten to this part of the mathematical equation, but I remember when I was there before, in a similar case, you showed up. And then when I was in another similar place, you showed up. Now listen, I've lost loved ones too. I know what it is to abound. I know what it is to have nothing. I've learned the secret, Paul said, of contentment in every situation. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But the only way I can do all those all things is if I hold very closely to my mind, to my memory, and to my heart the character of God and the work of God for me. And so I lean into those. I believe the occasional look backward can help us move forward with greater confidence in God. Right? We're not supposed to live looking in the rearview mirror, but occasionally looking back and going, oh, I remember, I remember what God was like in that circumstance. And I know that he's going to be good. Again, I don't know the outcome. I don't know the, the exact circumstances, but I know the character and the work of God. Go back to Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 to 19. This is, I believe, one of the most beautiful um, and profound statements in all of the Bible. Let me read this for us. Habakkuk praying says this, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Last week I said to you, and I want to say it again, faith is not the belief that everything will go as I want it. It is the belief that God is in control and that he will ultimately triumph over evil and injustice. And sometimes that faith is sustaining us even if things don't go the way we'd hoped or don't go the way that we want. The New American Commentary, speaking on these verses, says this, These verses contain one of the great affirmations of faith. Habakkuk's circumstances have not changed. The outer world with its evil conduct and rapacious warfare remains the same. But God's people remain in time of lamentation. The prophet, however, turns to praise. Why? Because he has heard God's voice and seen God's vision. He knows 
the ultimate outcome of history. If you know Jesus, the ultimate outcome for your personal history is salvation and is eternal life. Eternal peace, eternal rest, eternal joy in the presence of God. And so the third thing you can do, what, what, what Habakkuk did, the action that he takes, number three, he rejoiced in the salvation of God. He rejoiced in the salvation of God. Hebrews chapter 11, um, I'm, I don't have this on the screen, but I do want to read this for you because Hebrews 11, um, we don't know who wrote it. A lot of people believe it was Paul or Paul with some other um, people helping to write that. But Hebrews 11 contains what we call the hall of faith. It kind of, like, like Habakkuk was doing, it kind of goes through the stories of the Bible and, and highlights and brings out these people who walked by faith and, and listen to the outcomes. Uh, Hebrews 11, 32 to 35 the writer says, what more shall I say? We don't have time to talk of Gideon and Barak and Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And we go, man, that's awesome. Look what faith produced. All these people were victorious and conquerors and overcomers. And then we come to the middle of verse 35. Some were tortured and refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And then he says this. All of these, though, commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. If you're like me, you're like, I, I, want, I want to be in the group that's conquering the armies, right? Stopping the mouths of lions, quenching the fury of the flames. It's like this cool language. It's like, I want to be in that group. But others, others weren't in that group. For others, their faith was simply to rejoice in the salvation of God. This place is not my home. This is not the city I was promised. That's somewhere else. That's what I'm destined for. And so I'll walk by faith because something better is coming. This is the all-important move from only if to even if. We have a tendency to say, God, I'll follow you, but only if you meet my needs, you know, give me a pretty wife and good-looking kids, like give, give me a successful business, make the church prosper, give me a good reputation, have people respect me, so I'll do it, God, but only if. And spiritual maturity is shifting from only if to even if. God, I'll follow you. Even if. Business falls apart. Finances go in the tank. Even if I have to live life single, wishing to be married, or single again, wishing that my marriage hadn't crumbled around me, I'll follow you, Lord, even if. No matter what, by faith. Habakkuk's great shift here in chapter 3 is that he moves from being hopeful in circumstances. I'm hoping this won't happen, God. I'm hoping the Chaldean army won't to moving into a place of hopefulness in salvation. God, I understand this is coming, but I can still rejoice because I know what is on the other side of it. 
If you were in a boat in the ocean and 100 yards away, you saw a cruise ship filled with people, music playing, and you're alone in a boat, rocked by the waves, wouldn't you think, man, I wish I was on that cruise ship. That looks like a lot more fun. But if that cruise ship were the Titanic, (laughs) and you realize that what you were in is a lifeboat, you would not wish it to be different. We can have a tendency to look at the world and go, man, that, that looks glamorous, that looks fun. That looks like freedom. Can you imagine not having to come home at the end of the night or be accountable to somebody or, or show up at church on Sunday and serve, like not, not being bound by scripture. Like, like, but may I remind us that that ship that we're watching is sinking. Like the, the world is going down. Like, and you know this, right? This experiment of let's see how far we can go without God, it's not working out well. And God said, here's a lifeboat. I sent my son Jesus to die on a cross for his blood to shed, to cover your sins, to to save you, to bring you life, to give you access to hope and to relationship with God and eternity in heaven. Like it might be rocky in the lifeboat. There might be waves. It might be uncomfortable. You might feel like you're missing out on some things, but thank God for the lifeboat. Thank God that we can rejoice in our salvation. When God is all that we have, we find that he is all that we need. Let me read one last line and make one last uh, point before we go to these questions. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 19. It, it ends with these words, to the choir master with stringed instruments. Now, isn't that the most profound verse you've ever read in the Bible? No. You're thinking, man, that's, how, how do you get application out of that? Leave that up there for just a second. We, we see this like in the Psalms and stuff. There, this isn't something terribly unique. Why does it matter to our story today? Here's why. You remember the, the, the word I couldn't pronounce and then the selahs and, and now we have this, this stringed instruments and choir master. Here, here's the point. Habakkuk's wrestling match with his perceived view of God's injustice, this exchange with God, this encounter with God became a pathway by which others would learn to encounter God. Like this became a song that the people of Israel could sing and the people of Judah could sing in exile. And Habakkuk moving from resistant, God, I'm not okay with this, I, I'm going to fight you, to receptive, moving into a posture of worship and prayer, it became a worship song for the people to sing. Number four, he did this. When everything was going bad around him, he learned to enrich the people of God, to strengthen, to encourage God's people. Because the truth is this, whatever God does in you, he wants to do through you. Did you know that? It starts in you, I don't want to get like too quick to try to make it a ministry. Like, let it be in you. Let him refine, let him work, let him show, teach. But ultimately, he wants to do things in you that become things that he does through you in the lives of someone else. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. This is what he's doing in us. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Paul's saying, look, when when there's tumultuousness and chaos within you, and you're wrestling with God, and you're praying and seeking, and and then all of a sudden God's comfort and his peace comes to you, 
this becomes your ministry. Because now you're going to encounter people every day and every week who are going through chaos in their marriage and chaos in their life and chaos in their families and in their workplaces and their finances and their health. And you're going to go, I haven't been in the exact same place, but I have seen God bring comfort out of chaos. And if he did it for me, he can do it for you. I loved a couple of weeks ago as I sat in this very room and celebrate recovery began its first meeting at the Horizon West campus here, Monday nights at 6.30. I'll get that eventually. 6.30 on Monday nights. And hearing the testimonies of people and how God was in the process of delivering them. How God was in the process of refining them and bringing them freedom, bringing them hope, restoring the years the locusts had eaten for them. And in their testimonies of brokenness moving to healing, Others are enriched, others are blessed, others find hope. This is the way that God works. He uses people to reach people with the good news of the gospel. I would make the assertion that every sermon or testimony that has moved you, every song that has given you language for worshiping God, every book that has strengthened your faith, all of these have come through the lives of men and women who have experienced deep pain and profound questions. But they learned to shift in the hardest moments, God, I'm not going to resist. I'm going to be receptive. I'm not going to say, only if you bless me, God. I'm going to say, even if it looks like you're not, I'll walk with you. And in the wake of those lives, people find hope. People are led to truth. People are led to Jesus. And that is what it's all about. Because on the other side of death, whether it's the death of a foreign army wiping out the people, whether it's the death of a marriage, the death of a dream, whatever it might be, the way of the gospel is that on the other side of death is resurrection. And it won't be what it was. It would never again be for the people of God what it was in the life of Habakkuk. When Josiah the king was leading well and they were all together in their nation, never again would that happen, ever, in the history of the world. But then a resurrection would occur. And there was new places to find hope. And, and, and all of a sudden, the Son of God shows up as the Messiah and the Savior of the world. Death, and three days later, resurrection. And so we as people of God, we may be walking through faith, uh, walking through death rather. We may be walking through that personally. We may be walking through that in our nation, whatever it might be. But we hold out the hope of the reality that the other side of death is resurrection. Let me close with this. Five questions. Five questions, and if you're a note taker and you want to jot these down real quick, you can. You may even, I'm okay with you doing this, you may even want to take quick pictures of the, of the TV as they go. I'm not going to stay long here, so let me just give us five questions to reflect on in the week ahead. Number one, what are you asking God for that is beyond your ability to do? Habakkuk says, Lord, I've heard of some things that you've done in the past, and I'm asking you to revive it and do it again now. I can't make it happen, but God, I'm asking you to do something that's beyond me. So what are you asking God for that's beyond your ability? Number two, when have you seen God move in your personal history? Don't get too far from that. Don't get too far. Let yourself slow down and remember the moment God saved you, the, the moment he set you free from that addictive tendency, the, the, the moment he brought healing out of grief and pain. Like, let yourself remember the moments that God has moved. Number three, this is a question for us to reflect on. How honest are you being with God, yourself, and others? Habakkuk pulled no punches. 
He did not sugarcoat it. He, he didn't try to make it sound good. He just brought his questions, dozens of them to God. How can this be? How can you do this? He was honest with God, with himself and others. Number four, where are you looking for fulfillment? At first, Habakkuk was looking for fulfillment in Jerusalem with peaceful circumstances and the king on the throne. And he learned to shift to find fulfillment in one thing and one thing only, his salvation from God. And number five, last question for us to reflect on, who is on the other side of your surrender? Who is it that, that if you, by God's grace, could move from resistant to receptive, it would unleash something in the life of somebody else? A, a, a child, a small group member, a family member, a friend, a neighbor, somebody who goes, you know, I, you don't know that I've been watching your life as closely as I have, but I've been watching. And I've watched you go through pain. And I've watched you go through questions and hardship, but you don't seem to have lost faith. And I was just wondering how I might have a faith like that. Who is on the other side of your surrender? This brings us to the end of the book of Habakkuk. And I hope that, like me, you have learned something of what it looks like to walk with God in hard times. This ancient book with a guy with a really weird name who shows us that there is a way to have faith and to not just survive, but to thrive in a world of chaos. Would you pray with me? God, I want to thank you for your word. God, the way that it encourages us, challenges us, strengthens us. God, I thank you even for the way that it gives us language to pray and to worship and to talk to you. Because God, in the depths of the souls of men like Habakkuk and David and Abraham and Moses, God, in the depths of the souls of women like Esther and Ruth and Deborah and Miriam and Hannah, God, you, you have cultivated a faith that we can look to and go, God, I, I've seen your faithfulness in, in your word. I've seen your faithfulness in my life. And God, we're going to continue clinging to that. Lord, whatever happens around us in our community, our nation, our world, God, we do pray for your kingdom to come and we do pray for justice to be done. But even if we don't see it in our lifetime, we will rejoice in our salvation and we will thank you for your son Jesus in whose name we pray. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.